0: what you want, when you want it,
1: where you want it. This is The Mesh. U.S. Health Advisors want you to know your health coverage does not have to be complicated. If you aren't happy with your insurance plan, there are unlimited and comprehensive medical plan options available to you right now. U.S. Health Advisors offer solutions which can't be found anywhere else. They can even offer you the ability to purchase more coverage if and when you need it us health advisors offers fair rates and no surprises sounds nice doesn't it if you'd like to know more contact the u.s health advisors at 828-554-3032 or by email at daniel.bryant at ushadvisors.com foot candle films film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies
0: this episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at
1: www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am a co-director, co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival. With me across the table is the other co in that equation, Chris Fry. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. Good. Doing good. Have some interesting
2: films to talk about today.
1: We do. We do. So we, uh, you know, we just kind of have come down off of our annual film festival high. I don't know about you. I just woke up from the <laughs> festival, and it was a week and a half ago. But I yeah. have enjoyed a little bit of sleep in the in the meantime. A little bit. Um, We had a great festival. We are going to talk about it a little bit later in the episode and do a little recap on kind of what happened during our annual film festival. But before we do that, we are going to start off the show with a couple of reviews of films that are in theaters as of the time of this recording. We'll probably still be as you listen to this. We'll be reviewing the latest film from director James Gray starring Brad Pitt Ad Astra, and then following it up with a little film that I don't think anybody's really heard of or seen, hasn't gotten any buzz or discussion online that I'm aware of, Chris. Which is shocking because it's
2: like a comic book type.
1: It movie. is, but it's a film called Joker, and it's directed uh, uh, by Mr. Phillips, and is starring Mr. Joaquin Phoenix. Um Of course, I joke that is a very uh, touchstone film right now, uh, sparking a lot of discussion, some degree of controversy, and a lot of differing opinions, and Chris and I are just going to Add fuel to the fire and just add our opinions into the mix as well. I'm sure our take
2: is the one that you've been waiting for.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So everybody else has gotten theirs out of the way. They're kind of clearing the ground for us. And now we get to jump in and set the record straight on how you should see this film. So we do have those two reviews to discuss, Ad Astra and the film Joker. Then we'll be moving on into our new section where we're going to be, as I said, talking about the film festival we just had and uh, talking through the winners and the different categories that we had and some of our experiences from that weekend. Then we will finish up the show with our recommendation of the episode. That's where Chris and I both give one film as a recommendation we think is worth checking out. Uh, Something you can preferably find online, Uh, whether it's a new film or just something we want to bring back to the forefront. Uh, Something either way we think is worth you checking out. So that is going to be our show. Chris, I'm ready to go if you are.
2: Let's lift off.
1: Oh, very nice. Did you plan that? I did not. Oh, that was really good. All right, let's go right into our first review, which is the latest Brad Pitt Science Fiction directed by James Gray. It is Ad Astra.
0: I do what I do because of my dad. He gave his life through the pursuit of knowledge. Because up there is where our story is going to be told.
2: Ad Astra is James Gray's latest film. It talks about an astronaut, Roy McBride, who is played by Brad Pitt. And he's undertaking a mission to find out what's going on in the solar system because there's some energy that's being released and it may have something to do with his missing father who went on a doomed expedition something like 30 years prior. So with this film... You know, we, we intrude into the realm of science fiction, which I'm generally a fan of. Um, you know, with some differing results. The Martian was really high on that. Um, Interstellar, not as high on, but still thought it had some interesting concepts. And then we have something that's not science fiction, but deals obviously with space. First Man, that came out with Damon Chazelle right. mm-hmm. d- directing and Ryan Gosling playing Neil Armstrong. But you have, you know, so space genre. I mm-hmm. like it in general. I dig it. Um, so... Alan, what are your feelings as far as Ad Astra and what does it veer towards more true science fiction like Interstellar or is it more along the lines of something with space exploration and the importance of space discovery with like First Man, even though that was a biopic? Where do you feel like this film falls as far as
1: what it's trying to explore and or accomplish? Um, You know, the thing with this film is I feel like it's trying to do its own thing, which yeah for for better or for worse uh, it it works for me but it is feel like it's kind of going on its own path we have the elements of a science fiction film and that the writer you know director in this case James Gray and others involved in the film are helping visualize what a world could look like in the future uh based on further space exploration for example in the movie we have a colonized moon mm-hmm. um we have space travel possible between planets. You know, right. obviously, so that's, that's the very science fiction-y part of, of the movie. Colony, colony on Mars as well, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, on Mars too, yeah. exactly. So you got the colonies everywhere. Right. So that's already kind of that, that science fiction. I'm going to envision a world that I think is possible. But it's all grounded very much in reality in that everything I saw in this film, I'm like, yeah, I could totally see that in the next hundred years being possible. <laughs> An Applebee's on the moon. Yeah, sure, why not? If people are living up there, there's going to be an Applebee's up there at some point. So there's elements about that that I think really work. So that's the science fiction part. But then this film also is interested in exploring human nature to some degree through our protagonist with Brad Pitt, uh, playing an astronaut that has this uh, ability about himself where he can keep his – he just stays calm all the time, even in a very um, – Intense situation like we see early in the film, he's still able to regulate his heart rate. And he still doesn't really uh, pick; it, it never picks up pace. He just keeps himself calm. He just has that ability to do so. Right. But you start to learn over the film that there is something going on in his head um, that he's wrestling with. That kind of questions a little bit about how much of a solid, true uh, rock stone hero he is and it has to do a little bit with the relationship of the father as you mentioned in the in the description. So, we have a film that's uh, I, I think equal parts let's ex- let's talk about the future, let's talk about what that could look like, but the film's ultimately more interested in just exploring the relationship dynamic of the father and son and what it means to be a father, what it means to be uh, a provider, a, a caregiver, a partner in a relationship, all these things that I think the main character finds himself questioning um me personally i feel like it balances them really well i i loved all the science fiction elements of the film and i loved how just matter-of-factly they were played it didn't spend a lot of time trying to explain how these things happened or why these things are going on why are there space pirates on the moon that's not the important part of the film it's that here this is where we are now this is what the world looks like in the future and just kind of jump you drop you in and you'll you you'll figure it out as we go. So James Gray doesn't seem too too terribly interested in explaining uh his elements of the science fiction genre. He's definitely more interested in, in talking through the, the father-son dynamic, which is something I know has been kind of an ongoing theme in a lot of his other films. So the the father-son dynamics, the the idea of what it means to be kind of a man in, in, in today's world. I think is something he seems pretty keen on exploring. The film worked for me. Uh, I, I liked it quite a bit. There are some elements of the film I think were a little tougher to, to, to handle and swallow. A couple of things you kind of have to – I had to kind of look past a little bit. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I enjoyed the film. It was different than what I expected, but I, I think in a good way. What about you, Chris? Uh, uh, you know, <coughs> director James Gray,
2: what he did accomplish with this film was making science fiction boring for me okay um which is somewhat of a challenge um with films that maybe I wasn't as high on something as interstellar I wasn't bored maybe I didn't like it I wasn't really high on it but I was never bored with this film I was just bored um there wasn't really anything that was there for me I you know the science fiction was not science fiction enough it mm-hmm. was more like something out of first man I mean other than the fact that they were on mars which we're not yet Um, Yes, there is a colonial moon. We don't have that, but we have been to the moon. There just wasn't enough science fiction-y elements to make it interesting. So on that front, not interesting. And you referenced uh, James Gray's kind of interest in father-son drama. Yeah, not interested in that because I've already seen other films of his where he does that. I don't feel like any new ground was covered here. So it was just redundant and boring for me. Um, He really did the father-son drama in a previous film, Lost City of Z. And if you were to sum up that movie, it would be like Daddy Issues in the Jungle. For Ad Astro. you could just say Daddy Issues in Space. And that that's basically it. And there's not – for me, there wasn't that much more to it. And uh, yeah, I, he managed to make space and science fiction boring for me.
1: Well, OK. I see your boring comment. But – you know, you, you say it wasn't science fiction enough, but I, I think that's probably part of what I appreciated about the film is that they didn't feel the need to make it more science fiction than it needed to be. It was very matter-of-factly. It was a, yep, we've colonized the moon, and it looks pretty much like a shopping mall on the moon. Nothing too much more extravagant than that. Oh, we have to drive to another location? Okay, here's the little moon buggies, which you've seen. We all know what these moon buggies look like. And we're going to drive across the surface of the pl- moon, which, yes – we know what that looks like. There's nothing really shocking there. I I like the fact that I felt it was a very grounded, realistic view of the future. Added with a drama that could be taking place at any time period. It doesn't have to be in space. It have to be on Earth. It just happens to be in this situation in the future, up in space. So you know, I get the I get where you're going. It is a slow paced film. Uh, it's it, it it's not really in a rush to do anything. No, um, but. The pace worked for me. Um, Maybe I was a little more awake at the time. I don't know. So, but yeah, I I hear what you're saying, but it worked for me. Even the pacing of it. Uh, I'm not as familiar with a lot of other James Gray's films. Mm. I think Two Lovers is the only one I really know. The one he did with Joaquin Phoenix, several years back, and Gwyneth Paltrow, I believe. So I have not seen Lost City of Z. So maybe if I had seen that more recently, I would have seen a lot more similarities and felt like there were some repeating themes, but not having seen that other film, this was still a relatively new, new experience for me watching the film.
2: Well, and I think, yeah, I haven't seen Two Lovers, but I've seen Lost City of Z and also The Immigrant. Um, And, you know, there's, he, he's definitely a director that is not worried about pacing. He likes the meandering pace. Um, Which, you know, can work for me. It worked fine in The Immigrant. It worked fine for me in Lost City of Z. But with this one, you know, not only did we have the meandering pace, but we had like mad lib psychology coming from Brad Pitt's mind in these droning (laughs) monologues that I was just like, you know, some of the visuals were slightly interesting on screen, but then you would have him just going on and on. And I'm like, I you're putting me to sleep. You're just lulling me because you're not really – the stuff you're saying is not really coming together as a cohesive whole. I just was like, what's the point? And it is ditched for a little bit, but then it kind of comes back and, uh, yeah, the the monologues were not effective for me at okay. all. all right.
1: Well, we had some some other performances. Uh, you know, Ruth Mega had a very small role playing someone, I guess, managing part of the Mars space, yes. I believe. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, as we already mentioned, playing the father Daddy. that uh, does have a, a small part in the film, but is looming throughout most of the film. Not really quite sure where, you know, without going into spoilers, knowing how he's going to appear or where and in what I state. Wish
2: you could spoil stuff about this movie, but I mean, I think,
1: <laughs> yeah, there's just nothing no. I feel really like you can. I, I think there is. I think there's spoiler stuff. I think you know. I I, think within I, the first
2: like ten or fifteen minutes of the movie, you kind of know. You may not know what's going to happen between point A and point B, but you pretty much figure out, yeah, that's going to be point B. The reasons why point B is what it is may well. That may was more of the question.
1: Is like, it's what, like oh, you what, what situation are we going to find when we get to that point B destination? Absolutely, what you expect. Yeah. Well. Um, overall, I, you know, Brad Pitt, all right, his performance didn't really. Do anything extraordinary for me on the film. I mean, he was he he played the role he's supposed to play, but I think they also knew. Okay, we need to have a astronaut or somebody playing an astronaut that has no emotion. Check plays like a plays a a blank slate, but that's the character we want. That character to be that way. Sure. So in that case, Brad Pitt was a pretty good fit for that. And and
2: husbands want to go see science fiction, and. Wives will be like, "Yeah, I'll get to look at Brad Pitt for two hours yeah. okay, I'll go do that
1: so you know I think they they picked the right lead actor, but again sure. the they intentionally I think made the character be one that you're never supposed to be really enamored with or interest intrigued by it's a It's a very blank slate of a of a of a performance but I thought he did fine with it. I mean, you know, nothing nothing award-winning, nothing he's going to get tons of accolades for, just a very serviceable role he played. Um, I love the visuals of the film. I, I do think the visuals were really striking. I thought there were some really great set pieces. Um, I, again, I mentioned the, the moon scene with a, a chase scene, which I thought was really well shot and well done. There are some scenes on a, on a spacecraft they board kind of in mid in mid journey that they're getting some sort of distress signal from. And they, that was shot really well. And I think had some interesting visuals going on there.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, there, there are some set pieces that I call my wake up moments. Mm-hmm. So I start the film awake because of a dramatic sequence following from a space antenna. Okay. Yeah. Was awake mm-hmm. for that. That was well shot. That was interesting. Then there's lull of lots of monologues and me being bored. Then he gets to the moon and we had the doom buggy chase. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm awake again. You know, interesting. And then, and then there's kind of a lull. Then there's the space baboons, <laughs> <laughs> space monkey. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I thought, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And kind of a lull again. You know, so just you know pacing and the lulls just were really distracting. And then there's the ultimate kind of the point B that I was referencing and mm-hmm. that you kind of perk up for that. Cause you know, that's kind of an interesting yeah, thing.
1: And seeing that flow, the flow worked for me. I, I liked the up and down kind of nature of the film where it wasn't just constant mm-hmm. activity, space stuff and action stuff, but it also wasn't just a consistent talking movie either. So I think it was a nice balance for me. It, it worked for that. Um When the
2: thing, yeah, like even mm-hmm. the die, it's just not interesting. The guy doesn't mm-hmm. do good dialogue for me. Um, so when you have those monologues, make them interesting instead of just droning. Yeah. But um, what was up with the uh, Natasha Lyonne's cameo playing her character from Orange Is the New Black? What, what was up with that?
1: Yeah, that was a little interesting on choice. Mar- so on Mars, on Mars. Yeah. So uh, Natasha Leone who who ha- has a character she plays on Orange Is the New Black, has a very very quick, I mean, like less than a minute scene on the surface of mars working in a mars kind of check in office so or i guess that was
2: not an action scene that made me wake up but that was definitely like whoa what yeah where, they definitely had, had her playing from? the
1: same character from that tv show and it was a little out of place with the rest of the film um yeah where well, everybody else is pretty morose and pretty pretty uh yeah, you know, smaller number of words being used in vocabulary. She she filled that scene up pretty quickly with that. So, you know, some interesting choices on that, on the performances. I mean, Donald Sutherland in the film for a short period of time uh, as someone who knew uh, Brad Pitt's father, the mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones character, right. Um, and a few other names, uh, you know, I recognize a few other faces I recognize, but uh, overall, I thought the acting was fine. I thought the, again, the visuals I thought were wonderful. I like the overall story, although I do will say that I thought the story took some creative leaps at times that were a little harder to go along with.
2: You mean like the spaceship panel doubling as like a Captain America's vibranium shield? That
1: was maybe a little much more than anything. There was one, the one moment again, I, I tried to go into too many details of the plot, but there's a, a sequence where Brad Pitt has to board another ship and he's doing so uh, unexpectedly to the crew and the timing and the way the the oh. scene was put together, it was really Hard to believe because he's boarding a ship that's basically about ready to take off. And I think you see any liftoff in any kind of rocket, you know that that seems like it'd be a pretty impossible situation. And see,
2: that's the thing for me is that, you know, with this film, it's just kind of like, you know, oh, you're going to be scientific, but you're going to be realistic. Less science fiction, try to be really grounded in what you're doing. Okay, but then you have stuff like that and you have the Captain America space panel shield moment that I'm talking about that comes towards the end that is completely ludicrous and stupid. I, You know, choose your way. Mm-hmm. Choose, choose either – because stuff that hasn't happened and people would probably die, something like The Martian, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That movie, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. But it's about Matt Damon – Doing some things that, yeah, probably in real life you maybe couldn't do, mm-hmm. but the way it's explained and the way it's done, you kind of, or at least I did, gave the movie a pass. Mm-hmm. In this movie, you have, you know, pretty grounded stuff. Even the Doom buggy chase on the moon, like whatever, that didn't bother me. But you get to the mm-hmm. spaceship boarding thing you're talking about. Well, that was
1: kind of that was the one scene that got me. I mean, I, honestly, you know, and Chris is referring to a scene late in the film that. Again, not kind of explaining what the situation was, but just know that someone is going through an uh, asteroid field like a little rock field, <laughs> but holding a metal piece of a ship in front of them almost like a shield to deflect it as they're going through it
2: I mean that even, didn't bother it that even happened prior to that even happening well, I'm like seriously, he's supposed to be able to launch himself like
1: uh, just all the I was okay and the
2: physics go out the window i
1: was I was bought into the film, so none of that bothered me. The scene boarding the, the the ship on Mars was the only one who I that where I said, "Okay, that's a little much of a stretch there." So, but I bought it for the rest of it. I was enjoying it enough to go along for the ride. Yeah, it, it, it's been a divisive movie. I think with a lot of other people. I mean, I think it, it's it's definitely people going into the film looking for a true science fiction space movie you come away disappointed that it's a lot. Slower, it's a lot more methodical, and it has a lot more inner monologues. And has a lot of nothing happening. A lot of moments of nothing happening. Uh, People who, I think, want a true character drama, that don't care about the science fiction stuff, probably felt like it it didn't go far enough that way either. So I think it was somewhere in the middle. It just so happened that balance worked for me fine. So I I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. On a one to five, I'm in a three and a half level. You know, yeah. it's it's got room for improvement and it, it's not one of my favorite films of the year, but I think it's a pretty solid film uh, for yeah, me I'm, anyway.
2: I'm, I'm pressed to give it two. Wow. Okay. Big drop off. <laughs> sad Astra. Dad Astra. Sad, that's sad, all this
1: movie is. Astra. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What did Ad, Ad Astra stand for?
2: Uh, did they, they say did at the very beginning of the film it was I think it's like to the stars or something and that was kind of like so he's looking for resolution and they look to the stars of course he's looking to the stars to have resolution
1: with his data issues so, so okay yeah. full disclosure I did miss the first 10 minutes of this film.
2: You missed some of the monologuing. Good for you.
1: Well, but Good I also miss. missed the whole space fall thing too. So like oh, ten fifteen minutes. That. Yeah yeah. Yes. So I wonder if my opinion would have been changed in either direction. Uh, unfortunately, that was one where I uh, got called out on an emergency, and my my boys had to fill in for me. What was what I'd miss in the film in the first fifteen minutes. So I wonder. Huh. Yeah, so I missed the definition of ad astra, which I, I is why think, I asked.
2: I think your opinion would only go up because it was an
1: interesting part of the film that was well shot. um well, see, well, so, I'm already in a pretty good place yeah, though, with my opinion, it so it that's may be not more bad.
2: Like solid four, four and a half.
1: Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, maybe I need to go check it out again and, and make sure I catch the first fifteen minutes. So, even despite missing the first fifteen minutes, I I, I enjoyed the film uh, fairly well. So. so chris and i are a little split on this one that's okay Uh, i'll be curious to see if we are just a split on the next film or not so ad astra that is the latest film from james gray writer and director starring brad pitt uh still playing in some theaters i think as of this time um and uh i say check it out chris says if you need a nap um (laughs) that's the way to go (laughs) a
2: nice air-conditioned
1: theater sure yeah, if you don't mind spending 10 bucks for a, yeah, a place true. to a place to cool off for a couple hours. So, all right, well Chris, let's move on to our other review. Um, see, the thing is I already knew your opinion of that Astra. We'd already talked about it before, so I wasn't terribly surprised. But I am interested to see your opinion of the next film we're going to review, which is Leia's film by Todd Phillips, typical comedy director trying his hand at drama, and we have Joaquin Phoenix playing the classic Batman character, Joker. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to?
2: My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face.
1: She told me I had a purpose. To bring laughter and joy to the world. So Chris, I tried to think about this the other day. like how many popular characters in, 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 in our pop culture history mm-hmm. have been represented or portrayed by the most number of people? And you only have a few. There's really only a small handful of these characters. James Bond, I think we've had maybe five or six different people playing James Bond. Good. Superman, and if you look at both film and TV, TV. we've had you know probably oh, five, six, maybe even seven with some of the new TV shows that are out now sure. uh, portraying that character. Batman, mm-hmm. we have quite a few. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get past those, there there aren't that many. I mean, it's a small elite group of people that have had so many multiple representations of a character on different forms of media. The Joker, in just the last few years, has kind of now. Got up into that, that level because you go all the way back to Cesar, uh, Cesar Romero uh, doing on the old Batman TV show. Right. You've got Jack Nicholson in the 1989 Batman film. Um, and then you had, of course, Heath Ledger playing in The Dark Knight. You even had Jared Leto and just a few years ago in Suicide Squad.
2: Right. And then you got the TV things on Gotham.
1: You got the TV, got the Gotham TV series. You got the animated versions of the characters. So true. a lot of different versions out there. So, here's my big question for you. Todd Phillips, typically a comedy director known for The Hangover, uh, known for Old School and some other uh, comedies in that that type of genre, has now gone and made this dramatic film. Martin Scorsese was attached to it to some degree early on. His name's still on there as producer, but my understanding is he didn't really have much of an impact in the film at all. He was really helping them connect with a lot of other resources by having his name on there. But then Joaquin Phoenix, an actor you and I have – talked about in many other films before yes i think the master was one where we 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 talked a lot about his performance there we've mentioned him in other projects as well
2: right
1: you have this interesting combination director actor and the source material knowing that there's been so many other portrayals of the joker does this film add anything to the joker presence in our pop culture world or do you actually feel like this presence of this movie actually takes away from this idea of a Joker that we have in our world.
2: Well, definitely, definitely doesn't take away. Um, Does it add anything? Um, You know, it adds something. It adds a lot of discussion, obviously, (laughs) because people have been ranting and raving about it. For me, um, you know, we had heard, we've had it at a news item for our show, that there was kind of that connection with Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. There was going to be, references to king of comedy and some taxi driver things thrown in there. And in the trailer in one of the trailers they've had, you see Robert De Niro and you see kind of a curtain opening. and You're like, okay. Um, And you and I had mentioned that on the show. We thought, okay, that's kind of an interesting, because basically, you know, if you don't know, if you haven't seen this movie somehow, it's an origin, you know, air quotes, origin story of Joker. It's not like right. they're doing anything with Batman or anything. It's just Joker. And it's, you know, origin story type thing. And for me, I was kind of surprised that the homages were so, it was like basically riddled with homages. And that Mm kind of hurt it for me maybe a little bit because instead of just being clever, it ended up to me, me maybe being a little bit more of a crutch (laughs) than being clever. Okay. Um, there's, There's not to say there aren't things about the film that I did appreciate and that I did like. This is a rare film actually that, both of us have had the opportunity the first time we saw it we actually saw it together and then we saw it separately Mm -hmm. um a second time and so my gut reaction the first time i saw it was kind of like yeah i just don't really know how i feel about this it is you know it's dark it is you know it's rated r it's dark there's a lot of violence um there's a lot of for lack of a better way to put it, mean-spiritedness mm-hmm. in a lot of things that happen in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just kind of left me, you know, just really throws you off and puts you in a weird headspace the first time you see it. Second time I saw it, knowing what I was getting into, I was able to appreciate mm-hmm. certain things a little more.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so what, what's your general read on, on Joker?
1: So I came out of this film really having enjoyed it.
2: That seems like an odd word to say about this film.
1: Well, yeah, again, I I say enjoy it from a true, like, craft, technical, art standpoint. You know, obviously it's not an enjoyable story, but when you take the combination of the performance, which, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, I think this performance was pretty amazing.
2: I I would say, you know, we've referenced the kind of the hubbub about the film. mm -hmm. For me, Joaquin's performance is. Joaquin Phoenix's performance, that's the one thing that I feel like is pretty much unassailable. You know, if there's an undeniable strength of this movie, that's it. Yeah. You know, it's
1: just... And, and I will say his performance probably accounted for 70 or 80% of my enjoyment of the film.
2: I, I mean... Yeah.
1: So I do, i will say, if it wasn't for his performance and what he brought to the table with this, I don't know what this film would have been, and I don't know if I would have gotten anything out of it. Okay. But I will say his performance accounted for much of the enjoyment. I felt like, surprisingly enough, I thought the direction was very strong, very confident. I liked the visual style of the film. Uh, I thought there were some interesting choices made when it came to the the direction and the the use of the camera and overall what, what they chose to show or not show. That I thought was really good. So, again, I would not have uh, assumed that with a, a comedy director like a Todd Phillips, but I thought it was really good. The story was slight. You know, that's the one thing if I had to say what would be the thing that probably just didn't work as much. The story – we can get into – can we do spoilers at the end of this part? Sure. I kind of feel like we need to with well, this I think one.
2: that was my kind of thing about you know not getting spoiler territory, but, yeah, I feel like the story was slight, and that was my problem because – if the story was slight, and then on top of that, what story it did have, it was relying heavy on, I don't want to say ripping off King of Comedy and Taxi yeah. Driver, and maybe a little dash of Fight Club, but and definitely some uh, cinematography ideas from Dark Knight. But it just got yeah. to be so referential that you're like, Dude, "Well, I've
1: I mean, got a I've got a hot take on all that, but I can't describe <laughs> it until we get into the spoiler I think section." I know what it's okay, be, but okay. So, on the surface for what it is, here's the thing that I think it, people are having a trouble with with this film, and I think it's unfair. I think there's still, even though nobody wants to uh, 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 state it, you know, with other reviewers or people talking about this film, everybody's comparing it to Heath Ledger. Everybody's comparing it to Martin Scorsese's films that are being referenced in here. Oh, well. And I don't know if that's quite fair, um, because, again, I think you can be – You can have references to films, you can have homages to other types of films in a certain time period. This is very much a late 70s, early 80s milieu they put the film in. Now, why they put it in there, I have thoughts on that as well. We'll get to that later. But that's the milieu, that's the time period that we're in. So, of course, if you see somebody walking down a particular type of street in a certain hue and color over the film, and you know it's in this time period, it's in New York City and there's any character that resembles someone from another famous film, there's automatically those, uh, those those connection points. And it makes it tough to review a film. So I think some people are having some trouble with that, especially the comparison to other Jokers. Me, I don't have a problem with that. I see every all these films as independent. I see yeah, them as their own, their own thing. But them. I hear so many other reviews I've read since coming up with my own opinion People talking about better or worse than Heath Ledger, or better or worse than this. And that's that's not fair to the film itself. Now, did we need a Joker film that gave a true origin? Part of what was really great about the Heath Ledger version of the Joker is that he didn't have an origin. We didn't know it. There was, right. and that was kind of cool about it. I liked having this one. Again, seeing him as almost like a different, completely different version of the character. I liked... I like the backstory here. I thought it was interesting. The, the tie-ins with the greater Batman universe, I thought, were not necessary. Actually, the one...
2: Well, there, no, I guess you would say it's just one. The one tie-in, I thought that was something that was kind of interesting. And I've heard debates on whether or not it's an example of weak story writing or mm-hmm. weak script, or whether it was left unintentionally vague or kind of what's going on, but the use of the Wayne family mm-hmm. and where you fall in the relationship between the Flex and their family. Mm-hmm. And I'll just leave it kind of obscure yeah. for who haven't seen the movie. I think that's an interesting point of discussion, a conversation that can be had after you've seen the movie. That was something that I was not expecting, mm-hmm. that I still am not sure how I feel about whether the ambiguousness is a strength or maybe a point of laziness and i mm. without revealing too
1: much. I can't yeah. really get into it. Yeah. That, that's definitely, we can, so we can get that, into that, that a little tie later in to me was, was interesting. It was interesting. I, I, again, I don't feel necessary. I think I, I enjoyed the film and it's merits even without that. And when those tie in moments happened, I was surprised. Cause I kind of went in with the thought of this is a truly its own animal. This is its own thing. It's not really interested in trying to play in that, Larger Batman cinematic universe, and it still is playing by its own tune. But it does hit some points that I thought were surprising. Again, I didn't feel as necessary.
2: Right.
1: Um. Yeah. You know, uh, some people are, are cr- criticizing the film for basically either depiction of mental illness or for just watching somebody devolve and really not having any real point to it, other than just to watch them get deeper and deeper down a, a dark hole. But, you know, there's been some classic films where you're watching a character just kind of decompose or, or well, in this case, he actually feels like he's elevating himself, you know, where we're actually watching it as, whoa, well, he's going deeper and deeper down down the rabbit hole here. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I thought it, wor- it worked. And again, I can watch films and enjoy them if it's just watching a really, really great performance with a great character. Um handled by a competent director with you know great you know cinematography editing music and all that yeah without having to have the best story in the world i can still have a great cinematic music experience was
2: good cinematography was good but i can't really jump on board with the competence of the director i mean mm-hmm. not that it was like completely sloppy but there are some i i felt the film was in search of an ending I didn't really know what it was doing there's a TV station culminating event that I feel like it could have ended, um, has a bunch of monitors and could have ended at that point. Then mm, there's a cop car situation that happens and grandstanding on a cop car that could have done that. And then we have a psychi- psychiatric situation, could have ended there. And then the ultimate shot, which I will not ruin with the hallway. um And then it was like, okay, now we finally got an ending. It was like, and there again, some of those shots were homages to other films. I'm like, quit, just do, do you are, you're doing something original, but you're doing an original hodgepodge. <laughs> like you're not, you're not giving us enough, an original story, giving us enough of something original to be entertaining because it's just a mashup of other films. And originally when we first heard about, it, I was like, Oh, that's an interesting take, but then it it's like, he didn't make enough of it of his own or something. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'd, I don't know. I, I, I struggle with that. I, you know, but I did say like the relationship of the William family without going too much into that to spoil. I thought that was interesting. Joaquin perform, Joaquin Phoenix's performance. Um, actually something as simple as, which there again involves some discussion about how you feel they're saying about mental illness, um, which I can see why some people have some troubles with that, but, the origin of Flex or Joker's trademark laugh. I thought that was really interesting. And how it's performed by Phoenix as the film progresses, I think that could be like a, a thesis paper in itself is like how he does it at different points and what when he acknowledges certain things about it. Like I don't know, so there's unlike with that Astra, I was not bored with this film. And whether or not I can say I really enjoyed it or whatever i think certain parts of it are really well made and you know the mark of a a film whether or not how you rate it and then whether or not you liked it those can be two different things you can rate a film five stars but say i didn't really like it or it's a Mm -hmm. one-timer film or something this film gives you a lot to talk about oh yeah um which i
1: am always gonna err in favor of giving a film more credit just because of that. Sure. You know, if I can I'm come out of a Let me put it this way. When, when my wife and I, I'd already seen Joker once with you, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. And we had the chance to go to a movie because uh, kids were off doing things. And it's one of those rare nights where my wife and I are both like, Hey, we don't have anything going on tonight. Let's go see a movie. Uh, the choices were Downton Abbey hmm. or to go see the Joker for me a second time. Right. And, you know, even though I'm always wanting to go see a movie I haven't seen before, because I enjoy going to see new movies at the movie theater. I knew Joker was going to be a much more of a discussion-worthy, let's-have-more-to-chew-on type of film than Downton Abbey was probably going to be. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad she and I went to go see it because we ended up talking for a good hour or more afterwards just about the film. So whether that was intentional or whether they – I don't think it was sloppy writing. Again, I've got my theories. Right. We'll talk about it in a moment. Sure. I don't think it was sloppy writing um like lazy you just trying you to make it, it
2: ambiguous on purpose or do you not think it's ambiguous
1: um i think it's ambiguous on purpose okay. but with a general nod to where they're going where their thought process was with it okay yeah you know, i think it's meant to be ambiguous but yet i think they had an idea of what they were trying to do with it maybe it wasn't done perf- perfectly but so it
2: wasn't executed you know maybe
1: not as okay. as cleanly as it could have been but i still have my thoughts we'll get to you in, just a little bit with that. Okay. Anything else with the film you want to kind of call out? Anything you thought was interesting or worth mm. discussing with it? I mean – Robert De Niro's performance. Anything with that?
2: They're again, kind of
1: distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, I
2: realize – but he's he's basically paying homage to King of Comedy, a film that he was actually in, mm-hmm. but he's playing a different character. Um, maybe a little bit more distracting than anything else. But mm. – that could be a me hang up. If I didn't have that knowledge of that film, maybe it wouldn't be distracting. But, yeah. And it's not like he did a bad job acting. Right. It was just distracting for me. Um, Zazie Beats, you know, mm-hmm. making the jump from the Marvel Universe. And she has an awesome name. Yes. Playing kind of the love interest for uh, Arthur Fleck. I thought she was great. Mm-hmm. With Little, she was in it. But uh, she was in it. So, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I guess that's my general comments overall.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I, I again, I really, really appreciated this film. And I, uh, you know, you and I are both fans of the Batman universe and characters and all. So, of course, we were we had a lot of enthusiasm going into this film. Um, I tried to go in with as low expectations as possible. That's um, a good place to start. And I think that's probably why I come out pretty high on it, you know, as opposed to going in. With a lot of the buzz that was already happening online, me hearing that it won the Golden Lion at the uh, Venice. Venice Film Festival was like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want that kind of expectation. So I was actually happy when it hit stateside and people started immediately bashing it. I'm like, good. Let, bash it. <laughs> let me go in with low expectations and maybe sure. I'll enjoy this thing. And I did. I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, um, I'll, I'll say, too, um, kind of a, a
2: point that it exceeded my expectations. Was that, you know, we reviewed the film Venom on this show and both of us didn't like it. No. Um, And one of my disappointments was I thought it was pretty um, interesting to do a film where you're going to focus on the bad guy because that was the name of the film was Venom. Not, you know, Spider-Man versus Venom, but Venom. And, you know, kind of look at the darkness that that character has and investigate kind of the mind of a villain but what I didn't – I mean, there are numerous things I didn't like about that film. But one of the one was they kind of end on him kind of being a good guy uh-uh. in a kind of odd way. And I was like, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. With the Joker, no. You know, they show him having problems and they show people getting killed and just – yeah, you don't – I don't think you see him as a hero. I definitely do not see him as a hero. Do not see him as someone admirable. So that kind of stuck to the guns of, no, we're going to show you this villain and we're not going to try to turn him around or anything. So I was like, okay,
1: they tried, they tried to make him a little sympathetic, but I think, you know, I think they only did that for uh, purposes of character development, but at the end of the movie, yeah, you kind of lost that sympathy for him, which again is good. I agree with you. He, He's a villain, and he is a villain at the end of the film. And you don't walk away and say, oh, poor guy, you know, the world did this to him or whatever. There are times where you kind of feel like the film may be going that direction. But by the last third of the film, I think they realize, nope, any sympathy you built up. Now, we're just going to let this guy go go full on and, and be the bad guy.
2: Well, see, they're getting like, you know, initial reaction was I kind of didn't – I admired the film, but I didn't really like it because it – just left a nasty taste in my mouth. But there's so much stuff I keep coming back to. We haven't even hit on this yet. But I'll say that I liked the film for this was um kind of the commentary about bullying, specifically online bullying. Now, this is set like you were saying back in the 70s and 80s. So instead of or was like, it Or was it? <laughs> instead you know, of posting ahead, sorry, things on YouTube, yeah. instead it's showing clips on a TV on a TV mm-hmm. talk show mm-hmm. and you know inviting somebody on not to glorify them and just say how awesome they were but basically poking fun at them the whole time yeah. and that kind of you know Robert De Niro's character on his show does that to um the Joker to mm-hmm. Arthur Fleck and so that kind of calling out about like you are making light of my situation you are poking fun at me how dare you profit off my off my misery or off my failures. thought that was something kind of interesting about how, you know, people video or, you know, shoot it with their phones, somebody falling down or somebody causing bodily pain to them or embarrassing themselves. And then they post it on YouTube and make monetize it. You know, so it's, uh, it's something interesting. Yeah, kind it of holds up some... a window back to our society in unflattering ways.
1: So. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it had a lot of, it had several interesting things to say and You know, I don't think it perfectly executed everything it needed to say or wanted to say about the character. But I also believe there's a reason for that. So, again, so we're going
2: to get into spoiler territory.
1: I think we should, because I'm just kind of busting at the seams here. Um, So if you don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead to where we do our news section. Yeah, just know that Chris and I both have a fair to excellent feedback on this film. (laughs) Chris seems to be. I'm more on the positive than negative, the, right. but not super positive. I'm I really enjoyed the film quite a bit and had a good good experience with it. So that being said, um let's go ahead and jump into some spoiler talk.
2: You can sum up my rating. I liked it better than that astra. I'm
1: <laughs> well, saying I don't really know what <laughs> what film wouldn't qualify as at any time <laughs> right now. So um I will say with Joker. Okay, so here, here's my theory on this. Yes. This is where I walked away with this film probably with a much higher opinion. This is
2: your doctoral thesis. It is. Okay. Yeah, this is my
1: TED Talk. This is your TED Talk <laughs> on Joker. Um, so – and I could be off on this. This may not be the intention at all, but it works for me and it helps me to appreciate the film even more. Okay. I, even though the film uh, seems to be set in the late 70s, early 80s. We don't see cell phones. We
2: don't, yeah. yeah.
1: But I don't think it is. Okay. I actually, there's the a book ends on this film with a social worker oh, at yeah. the beginning of the film and a, a woman working at the mental hospital prison type area where he is at the end. Yes. They look awfully familiar, similar, similar, similar. Both African American women seem to be about the same age similar body st- facial structures and all, actually to the point when I first saw the woman at the end, I'm like, oh, is that the same woman from before? It's mm-hmm. not. But it's way too close to, to, to not be a, a coincidence. Okay. And even the scene, him talking to these women, are set up almost the same way, camera angle-wise, them across the table from each other. Okay. But the scenes in the hospital at the end look like they could be a little more modern-day and i am of the belief that everything we saw in this 70s 80s milieu in the film is a origin story the joker has concocted for himself that elements of it are true he did hurt and kill people he did have a mother that was had some had uh some some uh issues herself that he feels like might have impacted him I think it's an origin he has created in his own head for himself and that everything is happening as he's sitting there at that in that mental hospital. He's done crimes. He's been bad. He's had his issues, but he's sitting there. Because even early in the film when he's supposedly at the social services uh, department and he's meeting with his counselor or his uh, whoever's assigned Case to him,
2: worker, yeah.
1: she makes a comment about the time he was in the hospital. Yes. And you see a quick flash of him hitting his head – against a glass window yes. in that white, very static hospital. Throughout the entire film, there are about five or six other moments where he is hitting his head mm-hmm. against either glass or window or something, Right. making me believe he's still in the hospital this whole time. This is just the origin story he has now concocted for himself. Mm-hmm. He created this origin story where his mother's ex-boyfriend beat him and abused him, that he's – um was downtrodden by society people like you know mistreated him and he got to get revenge and he inspired all these people to follow him i think that was all in his head and or now if you don't want to go with that theory that i also believe this is the joker he is the prince of chaos he is that's his whole, always been his thing is to create chaos around him right i don't think he had a condition about the uncontrollable laughter i think he did it to mess with everybody and to put everybody else on edge around him so that's my theory as well because there's actually one scene in the film where he is talking to his coworkers. yes
2: and he walks down the hall walks down the hall and he
1: turns it off immediately right when he's around the corner he shuts it off right i think he's I don't think he has a condition at all. I think he does it because it just unnerves everybody he, around he him. He Did
2: that after he'd shot the people in the subway, right? Or no, was that before?
1: <laughs> Done what?
2: He did the cutting off of the lab. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. It was after after. Right. And, the, and so
2: that's when I think like maybe the break had started to happen with. Yeah, it, it's an interesting. Um,
1: well, think it's about an this Interesting way.
2: thing. I don't think it was. If that is the case. Yeah. I don't think it was executed really well.
1: No, um, I but, agree it was a little sloppy. So I
2: think – I feel like you're maybe giving it more credit.
1: Maybe. You're maybe giving <laughs> – But it's, it's the – it's credit. what I choose to believe to enjoy the film even more.
2: Well, and um, I think if I had come up with that in my head,
1: yeah. then yeah. I there would. are some moments that – yes, you're right. Do not hold up. Like if why would he – he if he was creating his own origin story in his head, why would he – Misimagined the the, the uh, Zazie, Zazie Beaks Beaks right. character as not really being there. Why so would you? That doesn't that. really hold up. It, it doesn't. I can try to find a way to explain it, but it's a little bit of a stretch. Um, I like to believe that the reason he chose for his origin story to be in this time period of late seventies, early eighties, is that. Uh, he has seen the movies King of Comedy. He has seen the movie Taxi Driver. Those movies are movies that he grew up when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And these have kind of influenced his vision of the world, you know, in his in his own fantasy origin story. So, again, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's
2: yeah, – it's a theory. You're, it's you're got a lot – You're describing a much better movie. <laughs> um, and I thought this movie was good. Mm-hmm. But I think you're describing – and you already think it's a masterpiece. If that was the case, well, I don't I think, think it's, it's a masterpiece.
1: No, but I think, yeah. oh yeah, if you did, if
2: if this was the true and this yeah. was the intent and it was executed better, I think it would be like a masterpiece. It would be amazing.
1: Yeah, I, it, it gives enough moments to make you question what's real and what's not, which I like. I like a lot. Mm-hmm. And again, knowing that the Joker is, you know, that's the whole that was the whole premise with the Heath Ledger character of the Joker, is that he's telling these lies about his origin, about how he how he grew up. And he's telling different stories to different people because it's all about chaos, confusion, pranking, you know, getting people on edge. And that's what makes me think the laughing condition was totally something he had control over. Just he knew what kind of odd situation it puts people in, an uncomfortable situation when he does it, you know. Well, and it
2: shows him realizing that Zazie Beats was – Not with him on several occasions, kind of Mm -hmm. like a fight club type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I wondered if some of the other stuff was kind of imaginary. Like I was alluding to the Wayne family. So since we're in spoiler territory, it's his mom basically spells out that she's been writing all these letters because she used to work for the Wayne family. And she wants money from him because, like, you know, they're basically living in a really bad apartment, a really bad part of town. They don't have a lot of money for food.
1: She feels like Thomas Wayne would give money if he knew what kind of bad situation they were in.
2: And then it's further revealed that she says that uh, basically Mr. Wayne is Arthur's father. Yeah. And then there's discussion on whether or not, A, he really is, or if – He's not. And then the option C is well, he is, but he had the mom committed and faked adoption papers and all this kind of stuff to try to cover it up because he was an illegitimate kid. So, and you don't, you know, you don't. Well, really they
1: never give a clarity it. on that. Well, unless hmm. there's
2: a pic, there's a photo that. Yeah. And on the back it says, you know, always liked your smile and it was signed TW. TW. Now, could the mom have just written that on there of the a picture of herself yep. and. You know, had that hanging around for Arthur to see,
1: could Arthur have just imagined know. it? Could, could he imagine? It, yeah. I mean, it, it does pose a lot of questions. The film does open up a lot of possibilities. I agree, and if I could have walked out and said, "Oh, I got this theory, and it's perfect," and I explain it, and everybody who listens to it's like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, that's right." That would be really cool, <laughs> but unfortunately, my theory. As soon as I say it to people, people are like. Yeah, but But what what about about this one part or this? And that means, unfortunately, if that was intended, it was not executed extremely well. If it was not intended, there are way too many things put in there to make you believe it. (laughs) So I like the fact that the Joker character is meant to be an agent of chaos and to create confusion and to create panic and to create uncertainty and uncomfortableness. And I think the film does that. And it
2: definitely succeeds in uncomfortableness.
1: Yeah. So whether or not it was as clever as I'm getting it, credit, I don't know, but I, I, I enjoy it with that that viewpoint that I, I put forth. So, okay, okay. I'm done. Are we, <laughs> yeah. Are we um, good? All right. Yes. Let's ease back into the rest of the show then. So if you skipped ahead or just kind of hitting the little skip ahead 15 second button over and over again on your, on your podcast player. You can now stop. You know, we, we are done spoiling. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and move into the next section of our show after we take a quick break. We've just done our reviews for Ad Astra and Joker, both of us uh, higher on Joker uh, between the two of us, uh, with me giving it a pretty high review. I'm saying four out of five stars for me. I'm pretty pretty hop, uh, high on this movie right now. Okay. And Ad Astra, I'm doing three 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 and a half in I'm that actually, neighborhood, st-
2: I, don't, I don't. Yeah, I told, said too for Astra. I have no idea what my rating is going to
1: be for um for Jack. We'll just wait just, and see. Whenever you post it online, I've so you've got it. some time to to, yeah. to wrestle with it. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do our news recap, which is basically all going to be about the Foot Candle Film Festival that we just completed a few weeks ago, and we'll also move into our recommendation after that. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh Hey, this
2: is Andrew Moose from the Street Circle Drive podcast here on The Mesh. Interested in promoting your business to an online audience? Your ad could
1: be right here. Consider advertising on The Mesh Podcast Network. Head over to TheMesh.tv for details. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. Alan Jackson, Chris Fry with you, co founders, co directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival. We just finished our reviews of Joker and Ad Astra in the first half of the show. Now we're going to move on to some movie news, some things we want to talk about. This is normally the part of the show, Chris, where we comb the internet and read about some of the latest news coming out of uh, Hollywood or uh, production work or directors being assigned to projects. We'll pick back up with that next time we get together. Let's focus on something a little more personal to us, which was our film festival that we just held a few weeks ago. We had the fifth annual Foot Candle Film Festival. It was held September 27th through the 29th of 2019, uh, held in Hickory, North Carolina. We had 35 films shown over a course of a weekend, a variety of genres and types of films. And uh, we had several of the filmmakers come and join us for the weekend. And we got to enjoy uh, awarding uh, six different awards at the end of the festival weekend to some of those films that we showed. Chris, you know, I know the answer to this because you and I, of course, have talked about the festival and we're there all weekend long with all the films and the filmmakers and our guests and, and, and attendees. Um, anything uh, kind of a, a, a good overall wrap up for you on the festival or anything you feel like uh, that was really of interest before we kind of talk about some of the award winners?
2: Um, you know, every year we get a little get a little bigger. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the case this year. It was nice to see the filmmakers come out Um this year was exceptional in that uh, we gave away um, to three different grant winners. We started our grant program last year and gave yeah, it to yeah. two. And this year we got to increase that to three. Um, the yeah. diversity of the films that are going to be made with our grant was interesting and you know inspiring to me. And something also unique, uh, we were able to – two first-time directors and actresses are going to get some of our grant money and make a movie mm-hmm. called Drought. So that was kind of – You know, something a little different you hear about in the filmmaking community, trying to broaden it for um, diversity and for women and, you know, to try to make it stronger. So I like to help or I like to think that we're helping that happen.
1: Well, and Chris is mentioning the grant program. So that's something we started last year. And we basically take the ticket proceeds from the previous year's festival, funnel that into a grant program. So at our closing uh, ceremony dinner at the end of the festival, we did uh, award three grant Uh, to three different – three grants to three different film projects that out of a pool of people who had applied for the grant program. So, yeah, it's really great to kind of see some some money going into some filmmaking projects, especially those kind of in our home state of North Carolina here. Uh, With the festival weekend, so we had uh, both narrative feature-length films. We had five of them in contention. We had five documentary feature-length films. And then we had uh, uh, probably about 24 different short films – Throughout the weekend that we played as well, so of course we gave our our awards we did. to them. We had four awards that were judged awards, meaning this was a panel of judges that we uh, requested and asked to be a part of our judging process. They got to review the films in advance of the festival, and we had four awards named by judges, and then we had two awards that were determined by the audience audience voting that was happening on every film throughout the entire weekend. Chris, you and I got to do some number crunching, tabulating throughout the weekend and uh, getting some assistance on that. And we're able to end up with our two audience favorite uh, ratings uh, for the awards with that. So Chris, you want to kind of read through and talk through some of the awards that were given out at the festival this year? Sure. So
2: we did have five different documentaries that played the festival and the one that was chosen as the winner. Of our documentary, feature documentary category was Kefaru. and this was a film that follows the lives of two young men that were uh, recruits in Kenya to do a conservancy project taking care of rhinos, and it follows, you know, them trying to take care of the rhinos of one of the last northern white rhinos in existence. But um, And that in itself is interesting, but it also kind of delves pretty deeply into the lives of the men themselves and the time they have to spend away from their families and kind of some of the toll that takes on them. So that was a really good film, and I was happy to see it actually not only won the Best Documentary Feature category – but also took away our festival's award for the audience favorite feature. That's right. So that was nice to see that it uh, went and walked away with two awards.
1: Have we had a, a double award winner?
2: Yes. This is where this is our fifth festival and this is the first time that's ever happened.
1: Uh, that's pretty so, amazing. So yeah. Kafaru got a great response from the crowd, obviously in winning the audience favorite uh, feature length film and uh kind of interesting note. I don't know if you, did you see the national geographic cover uh, this past couple weeks? I have not. It is a, uh, Um, um, the rhino, uh, Sudan, uh, was on the cover with one of the caretakers taking care of him, holding him in a very similar shot that we have for the movie itself. Uh, that came out about the same time as our festival. So it's kind of very interesting that that topic and this idea of extinction and what it Mm -hmm. means to our society, uh, was first and foremost on national geographic magazine as well. That's very cool. Yeah. It was a great, great screening with that uh i'll hit the uh one of them here sure. uh, i'll talk about the best narrative feature film so you mentioned documentary feature film right. we had five narrative feature films that we showed throughout the weekend as well and the film that won from the judges our best narrative feature film was a film called eight slices directed by nick westfall and uh, Tamara mercer one of the producers was at the festival to accept the award and talk a little bit with our crowd about the film it is a uh uh slight comedy drama about a pizza parlor uh in North Carolina. So again, nice connection uh, nice regionally time. here. Mm-hmm. Uh about a pizza parlor that employs a, a really nice diverse group of people and a very interesting work environment that's one that's promoting reading and promoting really supporting uh employees. But the pizza parlor is going on some hard times and may be in danger of closing. Uh, enter a youtube star who decides he's going to come and kind of uh go undercover as an employee at the pizza parlor and try to try to exploit it and maybe show how maybe it's not one of the best places to work in the world making fun of you know making fun making like fun we talk something. about in joker so right. um eight slices uh he was a, a good fun fun film and uh it was really nice to have uh, people represented from the film there at the festival, and like I said, it won our judges' award for best narrative feature film um, at the uh, during our closing dinner. Yeah. What about some of the short films, Chris, that won some of Judged awards? So yeah,
2: I'll hit um, some of the short films that won. We for the best narrative short film, we gave that to a film from Spain called Minor Key. And it's basically a story about a father and a son and their relationship and has kind of a little bit of a twist, which I will not ruin because hopefully people will get to see it at some point. True. So that one for our best short narrative, and that was a judged category, uh, for the best short documentary, a film called The Traffic Separating Device, kind of a mouthful to say, but that one for, and it's from Sweden, and it was a short documentary talking about a traffic separating device (laughs) that was installed in the middle of stockholm and it kind of shows people ignoring it or trying to go around it and things don't really work out (laughs) well and it's interesting that, that this was a judge category as well and one of the judges kind of commented when they were rating this that it just really stuck with them because yes on one level you can say oh it's just a funny little documentary about this device But it also kind of reveals a lot about stubbornness of humanity and thinking they know the best way to do things, (laughs) and being belligerent and not wanting to do something. It's kind of revealing on that level. So um, I'm glad it won because it's it's pretty uh, pretty clever. So that again, it's a
1: very unique short documentary film Mm -hmm. and. Yeah, it was actually really entertaining. I think people really enjoyed watching it. Because again, like you said, it's an exploration of human nature. Yes, You incorporate a change, something people don't want or expect into uh, a society, especially a busy downtown society and watching everybody's response, reaction to it. And then you learn a little bit about the people that are impacted by it mm-hmm. as they're either waiting for help or, or trying to yeah. fix their problems. Right. Uh, it, was, it was very interesting. Very interesting.
2: So we have uh, one more winner, and that was for audience favorite short. Alan, do you want to Yeah.
1: So the audience favorite short film was a film called Molly, directed by Phyllis Jackson. Uh, starring Chris White, who's a director who's had some films actually play at our festival in the past, and uh, written by Chris White as well. A short film about a uh, gentleman who is looking to buy drugs for the very first time from someone he knows is a drug dealer in, in a certain apartment complex, and just the dialogue they have during that that process that – uh, trying to have a transaction, but you get a little deeper into conversation between the two of them. And with an interesting little fun twist as well in the film. So yeah, the crowd really responded to this. We showed it during our late night night gallery, short films on the opening night, Friday evening. And uh, I had one audience favorite short film with the highest score from the, uh, everybody that saw it. So uh, it was nice that there, I think Phyllis is located out in Georgia. So they make a lot of films in the Georgia and South Carolina kind of area. So, really nice to be able to have uh, someone from the South also uh getting the short film award from the audience so
2: well, um, we had said, and that's kind of the summary. were there any closing thoughts you had on the festival
1: I, I'll just say that I feel like uh, I'm always happy with after our festival's done, not only because it's a lot of work and it's nice for us to kind of uh, sit back and just kind of recollect on, on the weekend but I honestly feel like I mean, the quality of films keep improving every year. I think we had some really, really solid films come in and with over 300 submissions to be considered for the festival and our screening committee helping it get down to 35 films that we showed, um, they really were the cream of the crop. And we, we left out a lot of really good films that got submitted just to make that 35-slot uh, weekend fit. So it's just rewarding to know that there were some great films we showed. There were other great films that, unfortunately, we couldn't have in the festival because of time restrictions. So, just uh, it was just a nice process. I-, I love seeing the quality of films get stronger and stronger every year we go along.
2: Speaking of, yeah, um, we do kind of have one news item, and it actually kind of ties in with the festival. Okay, um, Barnabas Toth, a filmmaker that came to our festival last year, his short film Chuchetage won our best narrative short last year, and then it went on to be on the short list for the Academy Awards for short films, but it didn't make the final five, but it did make the short list of 10. Uh, he has a new film out called Those Who Remained, and we actually had it submitted to come to our festival, but unfortunately, that film got pulled because he wrote us and said, hey, I'm sorry, I've got you know some distribution, a company that's helping me with distribution now. They want to you know, do this, and so I've had to... I've got to pull it for your festival. I'm really sorry. We're like, hey, we understand. Distribution's awesome. That's what independent filmmakers are looking to do. Come to find out, it had its debut at Telluride Film Festival uh, in August. And it's also going to play the Chicago International Film Festival at the end of the month, October 21st. So um, best of luck to Barnabas with that. And also what's exciting is it has been selected as the uh, best foreign language film for the next Academy Awards for twenty in twenty twenty for Hungary, so wow. it's their official selection for the Academy. So didn't get to play our festival, but the fact that Hungary is submitting that as their um, best foreign language
1: film, that's kind of cool. Very encouraging. So. No, that's it's great. So and again, that's another great thing with festivals. I'm going to say just festivals in general, not just our festival. Sure, is getting to see some great talent. Um, on the rise. Because again, Barnabas Toth, this example you just gave, came to our festival last year, came to Hickory, North Carolina sure. to, to uh, help screen his short film, won the award, as you mentioned as well. To know that his next film is now Oscar contender in the foreign language category, his film, Chuchitaj, last year at our festival was also on the short list for the Oscars short film uh, award. Mm-hmm. So to to see great filmmakers, to see great films that are just hopefully on the upswing and just going to get stronger and stronger as they move along is always uh, rewarding for any festival environment. So I, I really do encourage people if you've never been to a film festival, Hey, we'd love for you to come to ours, but even if you go to any other festival, I think that's really where you can see some emerging talent and see some great, great works of art that you may not have a chance to see otherwise. So absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Well, that is the foot candle film festival for 2019 it is in, on the books done And we've already started the process for submissions uh, for 2020.
2: We've made the preparations. You can start
1: submitting your film November 1st. Okay, November 1st. So if you're listening to this and you've got a film that is uh, uh, eligible for festival screenings in the coming year and you want to have it considered, November 1 is when it opens up. It runs until what? End of May? June June 1st. So you do have a good bit of time, but yep. don't wait till the last minute. You can actually get in a little cheaper if, if you go in now. That's
2: right. Yep. We do the whole thing where the longer you wait, the more expensive it is, just to help with administrative costs. So if you do it before January, you get the early bird rate.
1: So that's great. right. So we do encourage you if you or someone you know is a filmmaker has a project that you're finishing up or are ready to start showing at festivals. We'd love to have it considered for our next year event. Yeah, thank you, Chris, to all the work you did on uh, with your screening, organizing the screening committee mm-hmm. to make sure that we got the best films picked. And uh, I think the festival was a great experience, and now we'll start planning for 2020.
2: Which we know those dates already. They are September 23rd through the
1: 27th. 23rd through the 27th. A little longer. It is. A little more dates added to that range. <laughs> we'll be having more to talk about as the months go on.
2: Absolutely.
1: Going up to that. All right, Chris, now let's move on to the final part of our show. We've had two in-depth discussions of films. We've talked about our film festival. Now it's time for us to give our recommendations. And Chris, I'm going to let you go first okay. because I still haven't quite exactly figured out which one I want to recommend at so this you point. So you need to flip a quarter while I – I do. Okay. So take your time. Okay. Feel free to expand on your recommendation as much as you would like. What do you have to recommend for us this month?
2: I'm going to recommend this film, and you might think I'm recommending it solely off the title, which is partially true. I am recommending The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then The Bigfoot? And
2: then The Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Bigfoot. Okay, That's the name of the film. So the title, yes, caught my eye and I watched it. Also, the poster helped because on the poster is the main character – who is the man and he is played by Sam Elliott hmm. who I like him a lot you know I first came to know him as the guy who sits at the bar and talks to the dude yeah. <laughs> in the big Lebowski and you know Sam Elliott just has the voice you know you hear his voice and you're like oh that's going to be Sam Elliott he was most recently i think in uh Stars Born where he played Bradley Cooper's older brother right he did um but yeah just this is just an odd movie and it is exactly about a guy who Killed Hitler, and so he's an American war veteran and he's kind of fallen out from society and kind of keeps to himself. But he is recruited back to go kill Bigfoot. <laughs> so, um, huh. and it is not, by the way, it's, it may sound like it's a comedy, it is not a comedy, it's a drama, it's an adventure, and obviously a little bit of sci fi there with the fact that, um, there's a Bigfoot. Um, it's interesting, it's extremely well-acted. Uh, Sam Elliott's just amazing in it. Um, they do some flashbacks with younger versions of himself, and it basically tells his story of how he did what he did. Um, it's not a perfect mm-hmm. film, and I think I can basically hedge that in. the. It's an independent film without a mm-hmm. huge budget. There may be some problems with some creature effects when it comes to the Bigfoot part, but um, still, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's uh, hour and 38 minutes so that kind of helps the fact that it's you know briefer um but i i really enjoyed it it was a curious film for me i'm interested to see what the director does next i'm not familiar with his work robert Kras- kraskowski i think mm. is his name kind of hard to pronounce one. there yeah but yeah i'd never never heard of him before um mm. so this is the first thing i've seen by him. it's just interesting concept for a film um and it worked. I mean, the premise, even though it is kind of ridiculous, it worked. Um, so it's on Netflix, mm-hmm. I think. Okay. Um, but I recommend you checking it out. That is The Man. <laughs> it's kind of hard to say without laughing. But The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot. And
1: then The Bigfoot, then like then the singular Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Gotcha. Correct. Okay. So. I, you got me with that one. I've not heard of that <laughs> film at all. So congratulations. You got me stumped there. So, so have you had time to, yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it narrowed down and I I feel like I wanted to find something that kind of nicely tied in with something else on this show. And Uh I think I've got the right one for it. Okay, Joker that we talked about earlier is an origin story and that, you know, we learn a little bit about a character before they became the big name that we, that we come to know. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I kind of like this this film recommendation because I almost feel like it's an origin story for Martin Scorsese films <laughs> in okay. that this is the film Mean Streets yes. that I Great. caught back up with not too long ago. Okay. It's one I saw back in my film classes in college, and I had not really gotten deep into Scorsese films at that point. But now as you watch it, it really almost feels like it's an origin story for the Scorsese gangster movie that we're going to have – in the coming years, this is 1973, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Martin Scorsese, but it stars Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro, who mm-hmm. was also in Joker. Yes. What I found really fascinating about this film is I love Goodfellas. Goodfellas is one of my top ten all-time favorite films. Okay. I admire a lot of other Scorsese films as well, but Goodfellas is cream of the crop as far as I'm concerned. I
2: think he may be listed either on the Mesh website yeah I guess it would be the mention so. I, as your favorite director
1: yep, and because I think body of work sure. I think rises above gotcha. I think yeah, there's some low spots in his his filmography, but they're not really low compared to others, and his high spots are just really, really high, so gotcha. even films that didn't work a hundred percent for me, Wolf of wall street you know more more recently um Gosh, there's I several others I could rattle off. You know, Hugo, other films, good, not perfect films. Did you but see uh, Silence. I have not seen Silence. That's one of the few I have not seen. Okay. Um, but again, the overall average, if I were to look at the ratings of this film in my in my mind, is higher than most other directors. So, Mean Streets is kind of fun to go back and watch because it's it's lower budget. It's older. It's early in Scorsese's career for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of feel like you're seeing the origin of Robert De Niro in a way mm-hmm. and Harvey Keitel. These are actors that were fairly new and young at this point. beginning to see them kind of forming the kind of character actors they're going to become, right. I think, is really fascinating. Basically, the plot of the film is New York's Little Italy. You have a low-level hoodlum. This is a defined wrestling with loyalty to his mobster uncle and his faith in his friendship uh, with a gambler that he knows as well. So Charlie is that Italian-American man. He's got these feelings of responsibility. He has a reckless younger brother, Johnny Boy, who's the, the Robert De Niro uh, character, who is a small-time gambler who owns a lot of money to loan sharks. So kind of you know feeling like he's got to take care of it, help his younger friend. Uh, but at the same time, he's trying to you know deal with his own mobster uncle himself. It's got a lot of the Scorsese things that become trademarks later on. You've got the long following shot as it goes into a new setting, very much made famous in Goodfellas. Mm -hmm. Uh, That started here. You've got the Robert De Niro getting to play a big kind of more, not gangster, but the gambler, kind of the big, uh, you know, uh, criminal minded type of person. Right. And it's just it's got enough of the Scorsese touches, but you can kind of see the nucleus of what's going to be so much bigger and better with future films. So, again, Mean Streets to me is kind of like the Scorsese origin film, getting to okay. see him forming as a director and these actors that we're going to get to know a lot more in his future work. Right. So it's not one of my favorite Scorsese films, by all means, but I admire it for what it's building and what it's going to become in his filmography. So hmm. that's Mean Street. That's one I did catch up with recently. I think it's a really good film, uh, but I think it's more important to watch to see a director really starting to build and come into his own and create his own personality of what his films are going to look like going forward. So, okay. yeah. And what was yours again? <laughs> the man who oh, shot the, Hitler and then the, the big man Fo- who killed
2: Hitler killed Hitler and then the big and Foot. then the Bigfoot. There you
1: go. Okay. Good. That should be a pretty easy one to search for.
2: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) right. And Sam Elliott. I mean,
1: if you just search for Hitler or Bigfoot, probably that's going to be the only film that shows up.
2: Bigfoot, Sam Elliott.
1: This will be the only film that shows up. Yes. Okay, good. Easy to find then. Yes. All right. So that's our recommendations. Mine is Mean Streets from 1973. Chris is the film we just mentioned (laughs) from just now.
2: Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think it was made in 2018, but was released in 2019.
1: Okay. All right. So, brand new film there. Yeah. Trying to keep it mixed up here on our recommendations. And that's, uh, I think we did that. So, all right. So, Chris, that is the end of our show. Uh, I am saying go out and see Joker, go out and see Ad Astra. Uh, Chris is telling you not to see Ad Astra unless you want to sleep. Right. And telling you that, you know, Joker's okay. And not even,
2: you know, you want to sleep, but you like, Don't pay $10 for the air conditioning. Rent it on Redbox and then watch it at your home with a fan blowing on you. But it's October. You don't really need air conditioning now anyway.
1: I do not agree. So That's fine. (laughs) All right. And then we had our kind of film festival recap and we've had our recommendation. So, Chris. A lot of opinions we've thrown around uh, during the course of this show. If anybody's got some comments, questions, anything else for us, what what do they need to do? So the best way
2: to reach us would be send us an email at info at themesh.tv, mention for candle films in the subject line, and tell us what I'm wrong about at Astra, <laughs> or how we're, which one of us or both of us are wrong about the Joker. Your takes on the Joker, one of the years. Surprisingly enough, like really divisive film for a comic book movie.
1: But uh, yeah. Divisive, but making tons of money.
2: Uh, Yeah. So, you
1: know, it's getting a lot of people going out to see it, even if they hate it. Right. Mm -hmm.
2: So uh, that's probably the best way is info at TheMesh.TV. If you are a subscriber to our podcast, thank you. If you're not, please consider subscribing to our podcast. We are on Apple iTunes. If you go there and subscribe, it wouldn't hurt if you'd also leave – a review or give us a rating because that helps us reach more listeners.
1: Yeah, so we do encourage you to kind of reach out to us, have a conversation. We love talking movies. We love talking with our, our listeners as well. So, Chris, we'll be back probably within a couple of weeks with another episode. We'll be reviewing a couple of films. Can I go ahead and at least tease one of the films?
2: Yes, if you do it in the style of the actor, you met.
1: Oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> so, enough. Chris and I had an opportunity to see an early uh, review screening of the film Dolomite Is My Name, which is I, I'm not going to give away anything in our review yet. Just to say, when this film was announced, terribly excited for me.
2: I th- was it a news item? It I was. It oh, yeah. We talked
1: about it months up. ago yeah. where I said, look, this this could be the Eddie Murphy comeback. Right. This is what I'm excited about. So stay tuned for the next episode to find out, did it work? Did, is this the Eddie Murphy comeback or a, another misfire such as the adventures of Pluto Nash? Or um, A Thousand Words, I believe, was one. What's another one? Oh, my didn't gosh.
2: Called, like, it wasn't like Mr. Smith, but it was like Mr. and I can't
1: remember. Yeah, that one supposedly was pretty bad, too. Yeah, so he has it. not had a good string of uh, victories in the last couple of years. The
2: Haunted House film that he did. Haunted Mansion. Name. Haunted Mansion.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So uh, we'll be back at the next episode to say, to answer the question, is he back? Is Eddie Murphy back with Dolomite Is My Name from an early Netflix screening that we got to catch with? So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, thanks for listening uh, to The Mesh, and thanks for listening to Foot Candle Films. We'll talk to you next time.
2: See you in the ticket line.
0: Special thanks to Carpal Toller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpeltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv discover other network shows, and give us feedback on what you just heard.